Good evening, everybody. This is George, N2APB, and co-host Joe, N2CX, with you this evening on Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive, somewhat bi-weekly, soon to be bi-weekly, again, magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains. We are here this evening as the first episode of uh, 2014. Although it is uh, April 22nd, uh, we had a bit of a, of a rest. We'll talk about that in a bit here. And the topic tonight is the Network Analyzer Terminal, or the NAT. So um, there's a little bit of background that would come in this. Uh, I'll toss it over and introduce and, and toss it over to Dave87JT. Oh, we've got some other folks here, too, from uh, um, the Poor Hams Scalar Network Analyzer Group which is uh, kind of hand-in-hand -hand with this particular project. In fact, the NAT was a development and grew out of um, at least one particular need or one particular option for the uh, the SSNA or the, the PHSNA, the Simple Network Analyzer, that we actually talked about the last session. This is episode number 67. In episode number 66, back on December 10th, uh, Jim was with us, um, N5IB, as well as Jerry, um, I'm not sure Jerry's here, but uh, Jack, W0FNQ is. And uh, together, those guys, along with some others, had developed a, uh, a measurement system, uh, what, they, what they entitled uh, a simple network analyzer that essentially squirts some RF into a device under test and then measures the response coming from that device under test in a pretty calibrated manner in order to determine that device under test, which could be like a low-pass filter, a crystal, um, any number of uh, passive and even some active components um, can be characterized as far as frequency response and gain is concerned and very much used on our bench and uh, with a more knowledgeable um, awareness of its capabilities. And uh, if, you know the, if you know the curve and the width of a crystal uh, as a bandpass filter, you're uh, you're that much far, farther off if you're trying to use it together to create some type of an IF filter or something else. Same too with low-pass filters. Always nice to know how your design works, and this is a device, the PHSNA, also known as the SSNA, Simple Scalar Network Analyzer. The system is pictured at the top of our whiteboard. And now, just a reminder, I remember the third thing to remind everybody, all the listeners for, here on Chat with the Designers, we um, use a a, um, a website that we call a whiteboard because it's a little bit interactive, and uh, a whiteboard is used to communicate educational material, reference material, stuff that we talk about during this quote-unquote class time, uh, much as maybe some um, high school or uh, college types of courses do. So the whiteboard that we have is already listed there in the um, um, in the text uh, chat section of our uh, TeamSpeak client. And it's a really good thing to look at the whiteboard as we're kind of talking through it, because that's exactly what uh, Dave, Joe, and I are going to be referencing as we go forward here. So um, with that overview, a very high scattered overview, Dave, I wonder if you could just kind of, before we get into the specifics of the NAT and the NAT design and the background on it, you know, give us a little bit of background on, you know, the, the thoughts that you and I iterated for some time. <laughs> Um, based on, uh, you know, like, gee, uh, we both Dave and I have an inherent uh, um, preference for a non-PC solution. When a PC is connected to a piece of instrumentation, a measurement instrument, such as the PHSNA, um, this measurement system that, we're, that the NAT connects to, then uh, the PHSNA talks to the PC. And actually, um, I, I believe Jack was one that was driving the um, uh, pretty solid Soft, uh, software package on the PC that would accept the data 
coming from the PHSNA measurement device and then do stuff with it. At some point, Jack, we might kind of toss it over to you if you could then, at that point, uh, briefly summarize things in that regard. That'd be that'd be really great. But Dave and I have an inherent uh, preference for non-PC solutions. It's easier to take to the field. It's nice and easier on the bench. And frankly, without a PC, when you don't have a PC, when you're just working with a local display um, to do some of the processing and display of plots and graphs and charts and data coming in and so on, um, it's it's uh, it's a bit nicer to deal with, less cumbersome as far as configuring the PC, getting your getting your serial ports working the right baud, uh, conflicts on the PC. Once you get it all set up, I mean it's fine and dandy. In fact, the PC is a really really powerful computing element, of course, but uh, it's also nice at times to have a smaller display, a built-in computer and display for doing these kinds of things it allows you to take it to the field perhaps or be more portable with it even in a shack but dave can you give us your observations there and on, on the phsna and some of our thoughts as far as what we might be able to add to that system uh, as as an option not a mandatory option by any by any sense but at least uh, an option uh, for additional flexible cool addition type of usage dave ad7jt uh welcome to the Welcome to the co-hosting team here tonight, and glad to have you with us, Dave. Thanks, George. Good evening, everybody. Uh, you left out one important reason to try to stay away from the PC is you're not subject to the whims and feelings of Bill Gates. I know we got caught on the modem where uh, you have to update any software that runs on the PC with every release, it seems. The more complicated it is, the more often that happens. But anyway, uh, this project started for me kind of over a year ago. I uh, found this low-cost uh, quarter VGA display assembly. Uh, that had uh, a number of things in it that looked very interesting. And so I spent uh, our set out to uh, build a kind of an environment based on that thing that we could uh, use for a number of different projects. So I did the drivers for the for the, uh, the, the graphic display, the touchscreen, the, the uh, SD card socket, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, long about, uh, what was it, about four months ago or so, um, uh, uh, George brought up the uh, the idea of, hey, look at this, and he showed me the PHSNA and looked at that and said, yeah, we can do that. And one of the things that uh, I think, you know, we bring, we get instant graphing, instant plots of it. We can still record the data. Um, we can run just like uh, a terminal emulator would on a PC and run it in, uh, in um, well, what I refer to as, as uh, terminal mode. Uh, at that point, the uh, PHSNA firmware running in the, uh, in the UNO, in this case, is running in menu mode. And we can do all the stuff there, plus we could trap and record the data where I think when you're running with a, a terminal emulator in a PC, you have to have one where you can scroll back the data and you cut and paste the data out of it. We trap it and just spool it to the SD card. Uh, we can use the SD cards up to one gigabyte. Uh, that's enough for a few uh, sample test runs. And um, plus, we we provided uh, a number of um, DOS-like commands for managing the stuff on the SD card. Uh, anyway, that's basically uh, how it came about, and sort of where we are now. We got the first release coming out, and uh, the only thing we haven't activated yet is the touch screen. We're saving that for the next release. We want to get some miles on it here first. And that's essentially where we are. Anybody got any specific questions or anything? Yeah, Rick, yeah. go ahead. Uh, I was wondering when uh, you were in the design cycle or the, looking at the original specification, whether you considered using something like a, a smartphone or an iPod, uh, which for relatively modest cost uh, gives you all the graphic display as well as a human interface. 
No, not really. Uh, actually, I'm probably one of the few people on the planet that doesn't really even have a smartphone. <laughs> I think this display we've got probably originated for a smartphone um, or something like that. Uh, this display assembly has, well, you can sit down in about three minutes and find six sources for it, but you can never find the ultimate source for it. And it just sort of looks like the sort of thing you might find uh, in, a, in a smartphone. I think I've got, I found maybe an, an ultimate source for it. Um, I had to buy like 500 pieces and uh, got a nice low price. I'm hoping to pass that on to, you know, anyone who, who um, ultimately wants to get into the kit, uh, the kit, you know, the building the kit and doing things. We have all different source, all, all different uh, plans for kind of expansion and, and uh, follow on type of uh, uses. This thing started off as uh, uh, Rick and this, this thing kind of started off as just a terminal emulator. Um, but you can imagine if we add, uh, add um, some computing power into it, some additional computing power, there's A to D's and D to A's, and uh, uh, those who might have looked at the schematic and kind of studied it, I even tossed in um, a little interface um, adapter for the DDS60 card. So one can envision this being a, a standalone VF with another, well, standalone VFO perhaps um, on a uh, that could be used with an external rig, um, used as an external VFO for a rig, and maybe with the appropriate adapters, at, you know, like trans level translations and buffers and so on. It could really serve well for, you know, a nice, stable single so signal source for you know, even boat anchors, which happens to be my, my other passion. But, um, you know, using a smartphone for this is was probably a possibility. It requires an entirely different development environment and skill set and so on, something I don't have, I don't think Dave has. Um, and ultimately, even smartphones uh, are going to cost more than uh, the components and the display. But but that's a good thought. A number of people are doing that. That's uh, that's uh, do rigor some sometimes in some projects these days. Joe, do you have? Uh, I know you've been thinking about. You always think about ways to additional ways to use things and. You know, like uh, if, if we're just staying at the generic terminal emulator capability, you know, what that could be used for and maybe even toss in a little bit of extra computing power. You know, like uh, I can just imagine some Joe's Quickies coming out uh, uh, based on this device. For those of you who don't know Joe's Quickies, of course, Joe has been, I think for like 173 years, Joe has been um, uh, writing the uh, Joe's Quickie article um, column in QQ, QRP Quarterly Magazine, and always coming up with clever ways and ingenious ways. Ways, and oftentimes simple yet good enough ways to uh, solve engineering problems on here in our ham world. Um, but Joe, have you given any thought to that? Oh yeah, George, you know how my brain works. Yeah, this uh, this terminal looks very handy for for a number of things. Um, as George intimated, uh, you know we have discussed various test equipment things, um, and that is a that's a real interest area for me. And I can see this having. Um, Having some interface capabilities, a nice display, and the possibility of, of uh, both data storage and a um, um, uh, some memory to uh, to store what you're working with. I can see it used as a terminal for a number of uh, test equipment instruments in the shack. Um, sat down at George's behest actually a couple of weeks ago, and I came up with about. 20 different um, appliques, things you could hook up to something like this that would use the um, the graphics capability and a computing uh, capability of the terminal to um, to make some little uh, special purpose test fixtures in the shack. Um, this is a very, very handy way of doing it. And one of the things I particularly like about it is that um, as, uh, as Dave intimated, um, 
you don't have to wait for you don't have to um, store stuff away in a in a, in a um, spreadsheet and calculate and all that in a computer. Uh, you feed it data and you get a darn near real time display. If you're doing things like working with filters um, and you want to uh, tweak the components in a filter, uh, you can tweak and um, see the results in uh, in a display almost instantly. Very very handy for uh, doing that sort of thing in the shack. And uh, those of us who, who homebrew uh, end up with uh, the desire to do that. Uh, and this gives you a much, much less expensive way to do it than um, the traditional way that uh, I'm sure Alan is familiar with, uh, W2AEW, with a uh, spectrum analyzer and a uh, tracking generator. But this is um, uh, Borham's way of uh, achieving some of those uh, handy testament functions. Back to you, George. Oh, indeed. Um... Just to kind of continue that ball rolling a little bit longer is that some of the ideas, and I mentioned this in the um, some of the introduction we had for the for the show here. Some of the other areas that kind of come to mind just for using the bare uh, terminal emulator, the the terminal in a hand uh, handheld terminal uh, terminal emulator kind of thing is that uh, that come to mind is anything that any piece of instrument that uses a serial port to export data, import data, remote control data. Um, some of you might be familiar with or, or recall the Micro 908 Antenna Analyzer. This is uh, kind of a, a long-ago brainstorm and, and product storm of, that, that Joe and I had. Um, it has an RS-232 port on it, and with only minor modification, the NAT can be, and frankly is, uh, being readied for uh, being a, hand, a local display terminal for the Micro 908. Same too, although not a display terminal, but... Um, or, um, uh, its use is coming up in the SDR cube, and it has an RS-232 port for what we call the uh, terminal menu. Of not not too often uh, used parameters are in the terminal menu that no normally connect to the PC, but here we would be able to um, the uh, here we would be able to have the local data come instead of to the PC, but have it sitting right next to the SDR cube and uh, the data being presented and even have some opportunity for control being sent to the cube because this device has a touch terminal, uh, I'm sorry, a touch pad that allows you to input data to send to the device. Uh, many of us are also familiar with uh, CAT uh, devices, uh, computer-aided, uh, oh shucks, what does anybody, what does CAT stand for, the devices that you connect up to a rig for CAT control? Computer-assisted something or other, I'm not, uh, computer-assisted, say again, Pete? A transceiver. Computer-assisted transceiver? That's it. There you go. And there are many. There are some standards out there. Can never have too many of those. Um, for Yesu or Kenwood and ICOM, or those are the biggies. So if you can program the, if one can program the protocol um, into it, the NAT on its nice little blue display would be able to display the uh, parameters of a device. Be able to, you could set parameters to it, uh, to the device. Um, maybe even store them away into NAT's memory um, for later retrieval and, and usage. All sorts of capabilities. So um, actually, I see that Rick. Has a question here, uh, Rick. Uh, you want to ask a question? Something about industry standards? Uh, yeah. If you're you're saying that it's a uh, serial uh, interface data terminal, but I was wondering how you transfer graphic data over a serial terminal line. Uh, well, in, in a nutshell, it, it tends to be specific and, and unique for a given device, unless there is a standard that I'm not aware of. Uh, when, when Dave gets the mic back again, he can probably talk about how we suck up the data from the PHSNA measurement system in order to display the uh, the nice plots that are shown there on the, on the, on the whiteboard for LPF and Crystal and, uh, oh gosh, I forgot, uh, 
I forgot what else we have there. But it's just a matter of interpreting the data in an a priori manner. Know what data is coming along and you, you accept it, buffer it up, and then process that data in order to display uh, the given curve uh, that you want to see. There's no standards that I'm aware of. But along that line, maybe, uh, Jack, do you have your mic turned on? W0FNQ um, was is, is been intimately involved in, in the software development on the PC side and could really address some of that data coming from the uh, PHSNA. And maybe even get either Jack or Jim uh, give us a real brief overview of uh, the PHSNA measurement uh, system. Sounds like you don't have uh, audio, Jack. Nope. Um, maybe maybe go to a side channel and you could experiment and under your settings for the microphone. And uh, there's, uh, in order to determine if you've got your audio coming in, they, there's like a little test button in the uh, settings menu for your audio input and output devices. So select your input device. And then whenever you kind of scratch your microphone or talk into it, you'll see the uh, something like a VU bar go up and down. That'll tell you if you've got some audio. So give a shout when you come back online. And... Um, let us know, uh, kind of like an answer to the, to the question there. Um, George? Yes, Joe. Yeah, that's under the um, options uh, capture menu is the uh, is the mic test. I had to do it earlier, and I found out I had my mic plugged into the headphone output of the uh, computer. Uh, that'll, that'll cause some problems. Oftentimes, too, there are multiple devices going into a, a computer, and the system, the TeamSpeak system, naturally picks one or the other. And oftentimes we are on the other, so you have to switch the, uh, the, the mic input device over to the one that you're using uh, specifically. Um, Dave, let, let's get a little bit more specific about the PHSNA, and uh, I don't know where you want to kind of start at it, but I think it was one of my scathingly, well, I call it, Joe and I call these things scathingly brilliant ideas. They often turn into scathingly uh, time sinks that we don't get a chance to finish all of. But nonetheless, if, if we were to be able to take in some of the data that was normally going from the PHSNA over to the PC, what is it that you think, if through our discussions that we had months ago, what, that we'd be able to do with that data on, on the nifty little QVGA display system that, uh, that we've got here? Uh, yeah, okay, George. Uh, the device you're trying to think of, uh, there's the return loss bridge, RLB. It's the third device up there. Uh, the data format that comes from the, uh, the uh, UNO firmware comes in uh, really two formats. Uh, one is when you're operating in uh, regular menu mode, running like a little terminal. But one thing they have in common is they always have the frequency and the uh, calibrated uh, DBM power out measurement. Uh, and so everything in the uh, in the NAT is based on having those two numbers uh, to start with. Uh, the uh, second method, which is, is more interesting, I think, than much more interesting than the menu method, is they took advantage of a Excel uh, Excel spreadsheet macro that Parallax put out and made public. And with that, it, it gives the device that's over a serial serial port talking to a PC has the ability to actually interrogate uh, cells in a spreadsheet. So the way it works, you would typically go in and set up your uh, set up your parameters, your starting frequency, ending frequency, and the frequency step. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then uh, you manually reset the the UNO, and the first thing it does is go up to see if the uh, if the uh, spreadsheet macro is there and alive. If it is, then it goes and looks at a few cells in it, goes and runs the uh, sequence, and then pumps all the data back. The the protocol for all this has been developed by Parallax and is used to talk to their uh, spreadsheet macro. 
Well, what we do is we, we, we emulate the macro and the spreadsheet, and there are certain known cells where like the starting frequency, ending frequency, and whatnot are supposed to be. And we have, uh, we'll call them data entry screens, where you can load up up to 14 sets of these parameters describing the, uh, the, the scan you want, and uh, you, br you bring it up on the NAT, uh, and it goes into what we refer to as PLX mode, which is what the Parallax calls the, uh, the uh, spreadsheet macro. It's PLX-DAQ or something like that. And so when, when the uh, UNO comes up, it goes to look to see if the spreadsheet uh, macro is there. Um, it thinks it is, but it's really us. And so when it asks for specific cells in the macro or in the uh, spreadsheet, we send it back to him, and he triggers triggers the uh, the scan, pumps us the data. We take the data in, and uh, well, we take everything in and spool it. Uh, there can be up to uh, well, the macro will will take up to 26 different parameters or values in each data row. Uh, we'll take up to six. <laughs> And typically, there's only three. And then on, as it comes by and we're spooling it, we also put the first 960 data points in a buffer, which as soon as the data transfer is done, we plot it. Uh, we've got the information for the frequency, uh, the frequency step. We've got uh, all the readings for each frequency step in there. And then uh, we also make a guess at what type of uh, what type of curve it is, whether it's a low-pass filter, high-pass filter, bandpass, or notch. And from that, then we'll compute uh, or locate actually the minimum point and what frequencies they occur at, and where the 3 dB down points are, if that's appropriate for that type of curve. And we display those above the uh, uh, the plot. In fact, if you look at the whiteboard and slide down a little bit where it's got photos, you can see examples of that. The thing called test crystal that has a uh, it, it looks like a bandpass filter, if you would, but that's what you get going through a uh, uh, going going through a, a crystal. Uh, something that isn't shown on there, optionally, it'll also compute things like the series resistance and the series capacitance and the, uh, um, the Q of the crystal and display that in a little yellow window on the screen also. Um, and then it's also another thing we did at that case is you can, uh, if you have, you have the keyboard on the NAT, you just, uh, if you, once you make one of these runs, you can hit the space bar and do another one, do another one. So if you're... Uh, Dave, did you forget? Did you take your finger off the button? It looks like you stopped talking midstream. Could you hear me now? Yeah. Did you indeed finish your thought? Uh, no. <laughs> Maybe I got cut off by something here. And anyway, uh, I was. Uh, what, what's the last thing you heard from me? Oh, just a moment ago. We didn't lose much. Oh, okay. But I was talking about the PLX. And when you're processing a batch of crystals, for example, uh, every time you hit the space bar, it'll do another run. And so you can sit there and just keep replacing the crystals. And it's spooling all the output, not, not all the detailed data, but the parameters that you're measuring. So you can go back later then and look at, uh, at the data and uh, sort your crystals accordingly. Uh, anyway, that's just a few things. Back to you, George. Oh, sure. Thanks. Um, Joe, in just a second, I'm going to kind of toss it over to you. And if you could get your thoughts together about uh, the measurement value, uh, the value of measurement, uh, measuring uh, the filters, the crystals, the, uh, the RLB as the devices under test and kind of the value that it provides us to us as, as homebrewers, um, that, that'd be great. But I wanted to comment um, first on, on um Oh, two things. One, if you click on any of the photos, I used a new I used a new technique for me 
called uh, frames on the whiteboard and uh, the frame that contains all of the good meat of the NAT project um, is actually on a separate website that I reference and you see it here on the C I'll Chat with the Designer website. When you click a photo to see larger image, um, it shows as a blank. There's, it looks like a blank screen. If you scroll up to the top of that frame window, you'll see the larger image. It's just a peculiarity and my uh, my novice nature with dealing with frames. And nonetheless, just in case you're looking for the exploded images, you, you would see that. Um, so I guess in a nutshell, Dave, <clears throat> what, what we can say is that uh, I want to make a clear de uh, delineation for listeners here, both live as well as the uh, um, um, a still large group of podcast listeners who kind of catch up with the program afterwards, is that the NAT, the, uh, the NAT, our network <clears throat> analyzer terminal, is a um, it's not a dumb terminal. It's a smart terminal. It's a, it's a terminal that collects, it's a device that collects the data coming from the serial port and it buffers it and then it does things to that data. It processes the data in an a priori or before uh, a known manner uh, um, based on what data is expected to be coming over. And then it plots the data. It actually does some additional computations on the data and shows the computations there on the displayed screen. So, and then, and then later uh, in the next release, as I understand, uh, what we're going to be able to do is to activate the touch uh, panel and uh, be able to enter numeric data most easily, not just by using the uh, the keyboard, the small keyboard that plugs into the side of the unit, but enter some text um, numeric data that uh, can be used and sent to the PHSNA or any other device that's being controlled. So in that regards, it's a smart terminal, but it's still a, a terminal that takes the data from some measurement system and then displays it for nice hand to use, quite literally a hand to use. But also taking this, um, for those of you who have seen the circuit boards, and the circuit boards are pictured there. Um, I forgot the dimensions, but I've taken the circuit board and I've mounted it on the inside of an SDR cube enclosure. I'm going to put a photo up there shortly for it. And uh, son of a gun, if it doesn't make a nice display housing for the NAT, um, I'm also putting it behind a larger, slightly larger, uh, slightly wider 10-tech, a nice 10-tech uh, cabinet enclosure that I've got. And I intend on putting all of my PHSNA electronics in there, including the uh, power board, properly shielded, such that I have one box that was, oh, I don't know, uh, maybe uh, four inches tall by 11 inches wide by 10 inches deep. Um, so it can contain a lot of specific electronics, and uh, the, the NAT terminal gets built into the front panel of that, which makes a nice extensible project that can grow when uh, the additional capabilities come along. Hey, Jack's got his mic up. Um, Jack, now that you're, you're working there, can you give us a little bit of a, just a, a real quick overview of, of the PHSNA measurement system, and then specifically some of the data that you process coming from it? Uh, can you hear me now? Sure can. Okay, well, a um, couple things uh, before I get started. One is uh, Nick, uh, WA5BDU, is really the principal driver on the software on the, on the project. And uh, I have uh, participated mainly from uh, the um, DLXDAQ side trying to get the uh, data in and out of Excel. Uh, so, um, unfortunately, Nick's not around, uh, um, but uh, Jim probably can fill in uh, some of the details uh, about the, the status. Nick's been uh, porting the information um, out of <coughs> out of the uh, Arduino in a little bit different manner in his latest version in that he's using the Arduino just to basically capture the data and not really do any analysis on it. Hey, Jack? And, uh, yeah. Um, your, your audio is a little bit kind of hard to hear a little bit, only because I think you're um, you're talking softly and too close to the mic. Could you try backing up from the mic a little bit and then speaking a little bit louder into the mic? 
Yeah, is that any better? Oh, it is immensely better. Thank you. Very good. Sorry about that. I have uh, the mic problems. Um, actually, I, I normally use a uh, USB mic, and, uh, and I think something in Skype uh, screwed up the uh, configuration. Anyway, um, like I said, Nick is really the driver on the uh, software development, uh, but uh, I think his, his direction has been lately to use uh, the Arduino as more of a uh, just let a translator basically uh, capturing the uh, ADC information coming from the uh, power meter and basically transferring it directly to um, a visual uh, a basic program that he's using in Windows uh, to do the analysis. Uh, I did a similar thing on the uh, PLX uh, DAQ side and uh, have another Excel sheet up there that uh, does most of the calculations in the Excel side rather than on the Arduino side. A little bit different philosophy uh, than where it started out, but uh, uh, and, and Nick's really been uh, moving that software along quite a bit. I've kind of backed off and uh, on to other projects these days, but uh, uh, maybe uh, if uh, Jim is around, maybe uh, he, he might want to pick it up at this point and uh, kind of fill uh, people in on what's going on. Okay, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, Jim, do you have your mic turned on? And I want to give us a bit of an overview there. And thank you, Jack. I appreciate, uh, man, I appreciate your all your work there in the PLX. I think that opened up an entire new window and capability or the PHSNA, and it really gave it tremendous legs. Jim, how about the system overview, just in a nutshell? Uh, let's see. Are you hearing me okay, uh, 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 George? Oh, yeah, real fine. Oh, okay, very good. Well, the uh, the PHSNA, Poor Ham's Scalar Network Analyzer, uh, came about as uh, as me just wanting, as as Joe was commenting, to be able to uh, to measure filters and characterize them in a way that didn't involve a lot of pencil and paper. And uh, the whole thing really... Uh, comes about because of Wes Hayward's work and uh, showing us a simple way to use the uh, log amp uh, RF detectors that analog devices make. So once you have that device, you have a way to uh, to generate a, a voltage proportional to the, the dBm level in an absolute sense uh, from down in nanowatts up into milliwatts. So with that in hand, now it doesn't take a whole lot of uh, computing power to uh, read in a DC voltage and, and massage it and do things with it like plot and so on. So the object was to output a, a signal at a given frequency, make a measurement of the power level, read that power level back in, save this in some fashion. It started off as just uh, capturing it as a, a data stream and then massaging it uh, separately sort of offline. But uh, George and, and Jack, you know, the, uh, the PLX part, and now the NAT part and Dave's uh, work have now really turned this into a really nifty little feature where uh, the data gets uh, massaged pretty well as it's coming in. So just to see how uh, this evolves. I, I will comment that uh, I just did a little posting over on the PHSNA site of a preliminary on uh, a new little circuit board for the PHSNA that has two features. One is it's going to use uh, George and, and the uh, the DDS60, DDS module that uh, I think George says is going to be available pretty soon and uh, as well as the uh, the Hayward power meter uh, it accepts that information but we also included in it uh, uh, the circuitry just to do the RS-232 level shifting so it makes a very easy interface to the NAT. Uh, all you'll really need is uh, an audio cable with a stereo plug on each end and uh, we even uh, we even did the flip for you the uh, transmit receive uh, you know invert the signal so a straight through cable will uh, will interconnect the two and uh, this is going to be in prototype I'll probably order some proto boards in the next 
next few days, so it'll be a few weeks before those are available generally, but uh, it looks like it'll be a goodie. And the other thing we did with it was uh, step down from the Arduino Nano, uh, sorry, for, sorry, from the Arduino Uno, you know, Nano, uh, much smaller physical footprint, but the same computing power. So the whole thing's going to be a little tinier, uh, use slightly less current, not a whole lot of difference there, but uh, it certainly will be smaller and uh, give you some more packaging options. Go ahead, George. Oh, thanks, Jim. That was a great overview, and I think that's exactly what uh, we start off with, with uh, you and Jerry's, uh, the core idea of getting precision power measurements um, from a uh, from a device under test and then doing something with it. And I think that little system that continues to uh, uh, to provide us some horsepower there is just, just really nice, and I think there's a lot of different ideas that can, different directions that can be, uh, that we can be taken here. Jim, while you still have your mic turned on, um, is, I've had a number of requests personally and as well as right here kind of in the text area um, asking for how can I get my hands on a PHSNA kit? Everybody likes kits, as you know. Now, you and Jerry, uh, uh, the team, have been producing some boards in a, in a fairly regular fashion. Is that going to continue on? How, what, what are your plans in that uh, area? How can guys continue to, uh, uh, to get into the PHSNA system as an overall uh, project? Oh, okay. Uh, well, we never really had planned to uh, to necessarily kit the thing because the, the actual components on board are not terribly exotic. There are a few R's and C's and the odd uh, toroid core. So uh, uh, I sort of first thought was that, gosh, you know, this is uh, this junk box parts for, for most people. And then we did discover that a fair amount of folks, the junk box isn't quite as, uh, as fulfilling. So uh, uh, thought about it a little bit. Have not gone to the point of kitting the, uh, the currently available ones. Uh, we'll say that they're the circuit boards are still on hand. I have some extras left over from the last run of the two different types of the uh, the PHSNA, which is the, the board that sort of gathers the data, transfers it to the DDS and the UNO and so on. And also have a goodly number of, uh, of circuit boards for the uh, the uh, West Hayward power meter, a circuit as well, and some return loss bridges and low-pass filters and so on. Now, the, the new one, the, the PHSNA that's going to accept the DDS-60, is actually, in terms of circuitry, even simpler because so much of the RF uh, tasks are handled on the DDS-60. So the new board has to do little more than uh, some signals from place to place. And, of course, we did add that RS-232 level converter. So it's sufficiently small scale in terms of parts, uh, yet a couple of the parts are, you know, not generally junk box things like the RS-232 driver and... Uh, uh, maybe the uh, the reference regulator and so on. So seriously thinking about uh, maybe a, a parts kit to go with that as well. Uh, there's really not a lot to it. Uh, those who go take a look over on that site will notice that this new one uh, incorporates the surface mount technology, the, the RS-232 part, the attenuator part, and the, uh, the reference regulator part or surface mount components, they go on the bottom side of the board, and then the uh, the DDS-60 and the uh, Arduino plug into the top side of the board. The only through-hole parts on the thing are a, a protection diode, and a electrolyte capacitor, and a couple of fuses. So uh, uh, it, it will be a surface mount, but the large stuff, 1206s and, and bigger. And uh, the size of that board is going to be about 4 by 2, just a shade under 4 inches by 2 inches. Uh, and so, as I said, likely I'm, I'm really leaning toward maybe uh, kidding the parts to go with that one. Uh, probably not with connector and, uh, and enclosure, uh, but with components and the PC board. Uh, go ahead, George. 
Well, that's great, Jim. Thank you for that uh, overview and, and the information about how guys can get uh, get their hands on the, the PHSNA. I would imagine that they can contact you and um, um, we'll get your call sign um, out to those who are interested. And not everybody is at least uh, right now connected into the PHSNA group. And I've been referring them over to that group for more information. Um, what we'll do here on our page, um, both in the chat with the designer session, as well as the uh, in the NAT, uh, the NAT pages is to very clearly refer over to uh, you or maybe even put a small summary sort of along the lines of what you just said. And for those who naturally get drawn to the NAT as a project and kit, um, it's a natural <laughs> to um, to want to get their hands on the PHSNA, of course, because it goes hand in hand, so to speak, um, at least for now. And then there'll be other uh, projects uh, that use the NAT hardware platform, uh, as I was explaining elsewhere, for a remote terminal, a smart terminal for other devices here in the shack. Um, an aside before I forget it is that the uh, for those of you who have, have, have uh, ordered the kits, they're coming out this week. I, uh, the part supplier for the, uh, uh, the the enclosure only had a limited number of enclosures that I didn't learn about until after I had ordered everything. Uh, so I have an alternate source coming in for that. That caused a little bit of a delay, but not too much. And also kind of a bonus, perhaps, uh, I'll have this pictured shortly in the assembly guide, which is going to be a separate web page that goes through step-by-step -step usual type of construction guidance on how to prepare the enclosure. Um, we have a um, we have an overlay that is a nice overlay, combined overlay and bezel, such that if you're looking at the photos of the um, the display in the enclosure, it, it kind of looks hacked out. Although the, the, the rectangle cutout was meticulously done, uh, it still doesn't properly only allow the LED information, LCD information to come through. You see some of the outline of that bezel. So um, we've got a special uh, overlay that includes uh, like an overlapping bezel that really kind of makes it look sharp. So we've got some good pictures coming along that kind of added value that come along with uh, with the enclosure if that's the way that you're going. Um, Joe, uh, I'm, Joe and I have always been intrigued, as, as everybody here in Chat with the Designers knows, with measurements, measuring components, measuring systems, measuring uh, measuring uh, other projects, measuring radios of the different characteristics of, of electrical and RF characteristics of uh, of radios and such. That's kind of like what really drives both Joe and me. And actually, that's what's what drives an awful lot of uh, the Joe's Quickie column in QRP Quarterly. And as an aside, again, if you do not connect, um, um, subscribe, actually, if you do not uh, belong to the uh, QRP Archie organization, and a benefit of that, of course, is that you get QQ Magazine. If you do not do that, you really are doing yourself a disservice. You really want to Connect in with that uh, um, that fine group and especially that fine magazine and even more especially Joe's great article every single time for like the last 173 years, as I said. Joe, can you tell us a little bit about measurement? What's the value that you would see as a home brewer in seeing some of these measurements that come up on the NAT terminal or even on you know Jack's uh, PLX uh, uh, display terminal for you know uh, when it's on a PC? How is that important? Why is that important to us home brewers? All right. Well, thank you for the intro, George. Yeah. And it's only been 20 years with the quickies. I think I just, 20 some years. I think I just finished 
quickie number 88, something like that. That's fun. I, it's it's always topics I'm interested in, and I get to uh, I get to write something on that. And sometimes it even gives me uh, an impetus to uh, um, <laughs> to write another quickie. And for Todd, the name of the club is the QRP ARCI, QRP Amateur Radio uh, Club International. Uh, you can find them on the web at uh, uh, qrparci.com. All right, as far as the um, uh, the utility of, of the PHSNA and the uh, NAT together, um, that's fantastic. It, uh, it, le- it gives you a lot of power in some uh, very small uh, bench space to do some of the measurements that we often want to do uh, as hams. Um, we did a, uh, <clears throat> a chat with the designers session, in fact, I think a couple of them back a year or so ago, on filters. And um, it, it was pretty revealing, actually. Uh, George and I uh, breadboarded a couple of filters up, and uh, we used some uh, analysis uh, software, some design software, to design them, and then some analysis software to uh, determine what the characteristics of the filter are going to be. And um, as as practical matters have it, uh, what we got was not exactly what we expected. Turns out, uh, of course, uh, filter component uh, tolerance has quite a bit of uh, influence on the filter response and um, some second-order effects in toroids particularly having to do with the actual amount of inductance and the uh, interwinding capacitance cause them not to be ideal components. So the beauty of having a um, something to sweep filters and to look pretty real-time at the uh, filter response lets you take a quick check at what you actually have when you build something up and uh, to analyze whether or not it's what you want and then to um, uh, change some of the component values to, to uh, diddle around, to um, squeeze windings on the uh, toroid together or spread them apart and look at the effect of, um, of the, uh, on the response. And having just a couple small pieces of test equipment sitting on your bench to do this is invaluable. Instead of having to have a whole bench, bench full of, uh, you know, a whole bunch of expensive HP or, or other uh, instrumentation, which I've had at work in the past, um, it, it's very nice for a ham to have something simple to, uh, to do this with. Similarly, um, the uh, filter, the, the crystal resonator measurements are very, very handy too because you can use them then to design uh, a crystal filter. Uh, Wes Hayward has had information on this, as have a number of other people. Um, been write-ups in, uh, of course, QSD, the AWRL handbook on uh, designing crystal filters. And one of the most important things is characterizing the crystals you're going to use in the filter, selecting for the right characteristics. And then uh, with the PHSNA, once you build a filter up, if you appropriately match it to the 50-ohm system, you can actually look at the response of the filter. Whoops. Um, you can look at the response of the uh, crystal filter and uh, see what it is. And I just see uh, Mike C. corrected me. The correct URL for QRPARCI is www.qrparc.org. I said .com. So thanks for the uh, correction, Mike. And Mike uh, actually runs the um, uh, technical topics column in the QRP Quarterly uh, in which my Joe's cookies show up. So he's kind of my uh, uh, godfather in that. Uh, another another function of the uh, the NAT, in, in addition to the RLB that uh, uh, Jim N5IB mentioned, is a return loss bridge. This is something also popularized quite a bit by uh, Wes Hayward, W7ZOI. Uh, it, it will give you the ability to um, very quickly, in a graphical way, look at antennas or uh, networks or whatever and uh, uh, see just what kind of SWR, what kind of return loss you have. Uh, again, in a very simple uh, setup without a lot of uh, complicated test equipment and a lot of calculations, uh, very simple-minded thing to give you a lot of power on the workbench. 
And uh, I also see that the N5IB mentioned the uh, uh, cover article in uh, this issue of the QRP Quarterly is about the PSHNA. So they're getting a lot of uh, a lot of publicity there. Uh, good project and uh, ties together a lot of very, very handy things for, uh, for us homebrewers. Back to you, George. Thank you, Joe. That's a great, uh, great overview on the, some of the measure, the value of the measurement taking and how we indeed can be using some of the stuff and what we like to play with on the bench, component-wise, RF-wise, and uh, what it means to us. It's in the simplest, most basic translation in my mind is that once you know or see what you're dealing with, whether it's a you know a, a resistance of a of a given resistor, uh, a filter width. Of a, of a of a the width of a filter component you're dealing with. I mean, it eliminates the unknown of whether it's working right or not, and it also allows you to build on that uh, uh, with that particular component or that module so with with a known um, awareness of its capabilities. And it, like you were saying or suggested that if you're dealing with a filter that um, um, a crystal that peaks some you know uh, number of kilohertz away from its printed value on the crystal. And you, yet you're still trying to use the crystal to, with another crystal or as a filter at the given stamped frequency on the crystal. In other words, it's off and you don't know it. It's uh, your system's not going to work as expected or as well as expected, and it just gives you some great insight to the to the projects. Um, Dave, kind of toss it back. Oh, actually, you know, hold hold it off for a second, Dave. Um, what I wanted to do was get into some of the uh, the hardware overview, and you and I kind of iterate on that, uh, to explain into circuits and so on. But um, we've we've been talking a lot about some good stuff here. I, I, does anybody have any questions that uh, they want to specifically drive the discussion toward? Are we saying something that maybe isn't uh, quite as well understood? Or we're sometimes we're so much into the forest that we don't see some of the basic uh, weeds that are on the outline. Um, parts of the forest, and uh, maybe you've got a question. Anybody have a, have something they want to contribute? Okay, Rick, go ahead. Uh, looking at the uh, the whiteboard material, uh, what I'm trying to determine is how tightly tied the uh, the terminal is to the uh, SSNA, uh, and how how easily would it be. How much of a general purpose instrument is the terminal uh, without having to rewrite software in it? Great question. And um, um, the answer kind of is as simply as that it's loosely coupled. In other words, it, uh, it's only connected by means of the serial port. So in, in that regard, that's, it's the only connection, as it were. Now, um, I'm not sure if Dave mentioned it. Um, we, don't want, we don't have time to delve greatly into the software on either side, the PHSNA, uh, Arduino code, or ours here. Um, but um, we started, it started working, Dave was able to get it working with the original, called stock version of the um, Arduino code. Um, but what we did is we optimized it a little bit from the menus perspective and, and maybe some others, uh, other perspectives that it, uh, the, the NAT will work optimally with the PSHNA system when you're running the um, Arduino code that, uh, uh, that Dave modified. So it's a, call it an offshoot or a derivative of the stock PHSNA uh, Arduino code. But other than that, it's, um, it, it's, it's pretty much uh, stock. The computations that are done in the NAT, 
that show the different uh, measurement results coming from the PHSNA. That's very tightly coupled, of course. It only works with the PHSNA measurement system. Uh, however, the NAT as a terminal, and you said it right there, a terminal, can be used out of the box as a terminal. So with the RS-232 option, the U4 chip uh, plugged in um, and a cable, the stereo um, um, the stereo, the 3.5 millimeter, a 3.5 uh, millimeter stereo plug, plugged in, bringing the serial port in. You can talk to it with your PC um, or any other device that is outputting raw textual information, logging information, if you will, and that's the way that it, it, it can be used. In fact, that's one of the suggested uh, uh, testing, initial testing methods for the NAT when when a kit builder is bringing it up. Uh, to see that working, um, then it's then it's just a matter of of software that interprets. If you want to add some smarts to it, software that interprets the data stream coming over that serial port to do something with it other than just displaying it and other than just having a touch panel that sends back data over the serial port. But um, now that's about it. Did that answer your question, question, Rick? Yes, if I understand you correctly, I could use it as a simple tech terminal as it comes out of the box. If I want to use the graphic capabilities or the touchpad capabilities, I'd be required to uh, rewrite the software that's resident in the NAT. Is that correct? That's correct. However, we, um, we right now we've got these the software closed only because that there's uh, just a tremendous amount of it. It's um, not not overly uh, structured for good documentation or easy support, and not everybody's really overly familiar with programming in the DISPIC uh, uh, on the uh, DSPIC uh, platform. Eventually, we'll probably get there. Um, but Dave and I are set to be accommodating most reasonable requests that come in for like, hey, I've got this ICOM yada yada that outputs a serial uh, data over its RS-232 RS port, and I'd like to do such and such with it. So if it's not too esoteric and can be generally applied, you know, we can kind of put that in the queue and produce a, a software version for the NAT that accommodates that particular um, function. And the way that uh, uh, Dave has structured a marvelous, uh, from a hardware perspective, a marvelous way to exp uh, to update the NAT, um, it can uh, we can generate software loads in a heartbeat. In other words, the hex files, put them on the website. You can download that hex file, put it on an SD card that is integral to the NAT design, and then the um, um, the onboard processor there, the DISPIC, will bootload from that SD card and and flash itself with the new program capabilities. We do this in a in a similar type of manner with the new PSK modem, um, with the SD um, SDR cube transceiver, and um, uh, it's a nice way to provide that field programmability uh, for whatever functions that come along. Then you can have an SD card that uh, that's specific for every different function that you want to have, or just appropriately name your software bootload programs on the SD card, and you have one SD card that contains all the different uh, applications, if you will, that run on the NAT. That's great. That more than answers my question. Thank you. Good deal. Dave, let's talk about the hardware a little bit. Um, uh, th this was originally your your brainchild that kind of looked like a you know, fun platform to be dealing with and and uh, didn't have any particular direction other than kind of making some cool projects back then. But uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your choice of the disk pick. And I'm looking at the schematic on the whiteboard right now. And those funky two... Uh, um, 373 um, uh, ICs and, and how those data selector ICs are being used and all of those pins on the QVGA display. Holy mackerel. 
And just as a, a humorous aside, I, for months and months, I tried homebrewing um, the system, and there were so many interconnections on the QVGA display that I was not able to get it working repeatedly very well uh, until just at the, after those two months were gone. And But getting the system finally working was fun. But Dave, can you kind of walk us through that? Uh, yeah, sure, George. Yeah, there, there's really not much hardware there, as you can see. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do was uh, I didn't want to have to work with the, the, the big pin devices and surface melt devices and whatnot, so I, I selected this processor because it's the biggest 16-bit processor that Microchip makes that comes in a DIP package. It's got 28 pins. So the next, uh, the next problem is how do you interface a processor with only 28 pins with this display module that's got 40 pins on it, plus add some other devices for it, which there, there are a number of it. And so essentially what the way it works is the, the two octal latches uh, receive the data four bits at a time until you've got 16 bits built up and then it's gated into the, the display. That may sound like it takes a lot of time, but the processor is so fast that I figure it's about five or six times faster than a um, an SPI interface device could drive it. Uh, there are devices, you know, where you can send it out serial to it and then it's a port expansion, I think they call it. But the processor is running at 40 MIPS, which is 25 nanosecond instruction cycle time. So there's a lot of horsepower in there. Plus, there's a lot of uh, code to over 44,000 uh, program store locations and another 16 kilobytes of RAM on it. <clears throat> uh, we've got a lot built into this thing. We've got quite a bit of memory left, too, so there's a lot lot more room. And like George said, uh, we're thinking that, that with all the applications we have, uh, we've made it as easy as we possibly could to upgrade the, the firmware. Uh, the bootloader, the rules for the bootloader are if you, as long as you only use the bootloader to load stuff, it should be there forever. It protects itself. But if you ever go and load, uh, you know, using a uh, another microchip programmer of some sort or whatnot, you're likely to uh, compromise the bootloader and then have to go back and reload that. But uh, so far, it's been working pretty good, and uh, it sure makes it easy to change stuff. There's two ways you can you can actually load the firmware. Uh, there's a uh, command in the NAT firmware itself that says, hey, load this new firmware, name this, and it goes and gets that file. Or there's a default file name when the, the, uh, the firmware always starts in the loader. And the loader goes out and looks at for, for an SD card, and if there's one there, it looks for a, uh, a, a file in the root directory named app.hex. If it finds it, it loads it. Um, if it doesn't find it, then it starts the last loaded application. When it loads, it uh, traps the starting point for the application and then puts its own starting point in the reset vector so that uh, it always starts, so it always gets first crack at things. So no matter how compromised the uh, or, or screwed up the application might get, uh, the, uh, the bootloader should still be there and should be able to recover. Um, well, anyway, uh, that's the, the quick overview of it. Back to you, George. Thanks, Dave. Does anybody have any questions about the uh, the schematic and uh, the, uh, the control of the QVGA display? That's a that's a really nice display, and of course, as Dave said, there's like five different sources for it on eBay, and it's pretty easy to get your hands on it uh, if you didn't want to kind of grab one from the uh, from the kit, get it with the kit, um, do some experimentation with it on your own. And it's kind of a neat system. The the DisPick is a is a really nice uh, little processor. We've standardized. If you if you don't recognize it, we've standardized on using the DISPIC um, first in the uh, in the modem, the new PSK modem, and then later in the SDR cube. And we've got it here. And as you might think or understand or appreciate, the software portability, the software reuse, is a great thing. Uh, get some uh, uh, reuse of the different software going on. Yeah, Jim, do you have something? 
Yeah, just uh, asking if you or Dave, uh, I was looking at the schematic and I didn't notice it. Maybe my eyesight's not uh, good enough. Did y'all bring out one or another of the uh, DSpex analog input uh, so that was available also? The, the, they're, they're not brought out on this one because uh, we don't have any of the uh, the analog devices on here. But yeah, the analog input is there and uh, we'll, we'll probably be using that later. Uh, you want to comment on that, George? Yeah, there's. Um, I, I alluded to some future evolution of the NAT, and um, one of those is to add some A to D and D to A operations uh, in it. And you might be able to imagine some things that come along with audio processing, playing a uh, playing an MP3 file, for example, that might be on an SD card becomes a possibility. Not only a possibility, it's it's actually done in and some of Dave's uh, prototyping already. Uh, Jim, there's some things that we want to, we've been thinking about as far as how to even simplify further the PHSNA, you know, and something that you and, and uh, Dave and, and your, your team and I can talk um, about as far as, you know, like what comes after the Arduino? Uh, we still want to make it open enough for people to make their own contributions, yet not burden them or saddle them with a lot of the infrastructure of the somewhat, I don't want to say arcane, but just a lot of code as far as uh, uh, handling the digital display. But as you might think, some of the um, some of the process, the native processing in the Arduino or the Nano or the Uno uh, could easily be accommodated into this DISPIC in whatever future version. So we ought to synchronize some of our, our downstream paths and, and talk about it. But that's, but you're right, our our future some of our future growth plans do include the uh, analog world interfacing with the analog world a little bit and then of course as you see we already have it's easy to drop the uh, DDS60 onto here as uh, give people a chance to kind of play with it in a in a, in a VFO type of uh, uh, manner or anything else that wants to control the DDS to supply some signals. Does it make sense, Jim? Oh yeah, thank you, George. I was uh, kind of distracted by uh, LSU Tulane baseball here on the <laughs> on the TV. Oh, I know. I've got uh, I've got Orioles uh, uh, playing in my other ear as, I, as I'm talking here. Um, I love following the Orioles. Um, um, Rick, was that your light that came on? Yes, I was just wondering. I don't see any connection to the SD card shown in the schematic. Ah, great point. Great point, Dave. Do you want to take that? Yeah. Well, the uh, the SD card is on the QVGA display assembly. Uh, if, if you if you look closely at all the uh, signal names in there, you'll find something called uh, SD DIN and SD clock, SD out, and those are the interface lines that wind up going to the uh, the SD connector. There's also the uh, the touchscreen controllers on there, as well as the display controller, and then there's also uh, pads on it for a serial EEPROM, which we populate. So all that's on that one little package. <laughs> that's why there's so many pins on it, I guess. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, we don't indicate it on there. I guess I should because if some, somebody studied the parts list, you would see the EEPROM and you would see the uh, the SD card, but not find the appropriate pads or the or the uh, uh, connector for the SD cards. So that's that's part of it. When you get these, uh, I don't want to say standard, but these uh, these uh, QVGA displays that are tending to be somewhat common in, in function and and uh, construction. Um, we make use of the different capabilities on there, as, D as Dave indicated, the, the touchscreen, the SD card, and then uh, we supply the, um, um, the E squared prom to go onto the, uh, onto, the, uh, onto the card to give us memory. And Dave, want to mention how much memory is, is, is um, on there and what you're using it for? I think it's phenomenal usage. Oh, the, uh, the WEPROM? 
256 kilobit EEPROM. What's that? 32 bytes or 32k bytes or something like that. But what that's used for? Remember, I mentioned that you could store up to 14 sets of the of the parameters for the sweeps. Uh, that's stored on there so that it persists. There's an edit screen that you bring up and a template. You just fill in the blanks and then hit hit enter and it, it puts it in the appropriate place in the uh, in the double EEPROM. And then you bring it back by either uh, or activate it uh, by pressing one of the function keys. Function keys one through seven and alternate one through seven are used for this purpose. And then it just brings it up and it, that puts the NAT in PLX mode. And at, once it's in that mode, the, the firmware in the Uno can come and access what it thinks is the spreadsheet where it'll be accessing the parameters out of this. There's also a, a few other things that get, get put in there uh, just, just so they persist through uh, through power uh, power cycles. Uh, also, I might enter the, uh, say that the uh, the format of the data entry that there's a there's a uh, a template for the data entry screen, and you can actually edit the template. Uh, you can go in and, and you can change, for example, what the uh, what the spreadsheet cells are for different things. Uh, certain things are locked in in, uh, in their position in this template, but you can change where the uh, the Uno will find them in the spreadsheet and whatnot. Um, Another thing I should mention, uh, calibration. Um, the the NAT has actually two buffers, two data buffers, 960 uh, data points each. And to calibrate, you would uh, essentially put a short circuit between the uh, signal generator and the power meter. If you, if you have a crystal filter in there, you, or a fixture, test fixture in there, you just short that out. If you have a, a, oh, a, a low-pass filter or something, you, you just run a coax from the input to the output. Take one run like that, and then there's a con, uh, control sequence. You, uh, you hit you just a couple keys, and it transfers that data part into the calibration part. And then from then on, when you run that sweep, it, uh, it subtracts the calibration values from the value coming in. So it winds up uh, calibrating it for every point, essentially, that you're using in the sweep. And so far, that's worked out pretty neat. Um, anyway, back to you, George. Thanks, Dave. And I gotta, um, I, I have to point out now that uh, Dave is 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 an amazing um, uh, engineer. I guess is the best way to put it. Dave is retired now, but he's he's uh, uh, probably doing just as much as exciting work now. I think if I were able to translate some of uh, the features and the capabilities that he's putting into these systems here, he's doing an amazing job. And I'm, I really have to encourage everybody, whether you whether you build the NAT yourself, whether you whether you get the kit and don't build it, or or if you're just kind of listening in and the podcast, re get the manual and download the manual. You will be impressed with the the amount of information and capabilities that are in this. We could talk for the next four hours merely about the capabilities of the NAT from a software perspective. And uh, you will be impressed, I guarantee you. And uh, the degree to which Dave has paid attention to the capabilities and added some extra things when possible is just amazing. And I enjoy working with him like um, a whole bunch. And I um, uh, thank him for that, uh, for what he's offering here. I think the NAT, actually, let me back up. I think the PHSNA is one of the best kept secrets, unintentionally perhaps, of the homebrewing community. Every group that I've belonged to, like on the Yahoo groups or uh, friends that talk about technology stuff, and that's mostly what I'm, I, I do. I don't rag chew about uh, the weather too much, but I, I enjoy getting on AM and talking technical topics with guys. I enjoy 
um, uh, CW technical rag chew, and it gets really interesting on, on CW on uh, weekend mornings especially. But I always gravitate toward the technology types of, of, of aspects, and I think that this device, the combination of the system of the PHSNA system and other accessories, the PLX processing on the PC, the um, the processing that happens here in the NAT handheld terminal, soon to be um, built into you know like a, a desktop device, uh, maybe with some extra processing capability and so on, is the best kept secret. Unfortunately, um, I think the QQ article is going to go a long ways toward kind of unveiling the two and describing it to a lot of people over the uh, homebrewing uh, community, um, as is the marvelous, marvelous presentation that I think it was just Jim uh, uh, Jim and Nick. Were, Jim, were you two guys uh, the only two that presented at OzarkCon? It was uh, Nick and Jerry and me. Uh, Jerry uh, talked on the applications and Nick on the software, and I just sort of did the history and the summation. Ah, perfect. You guys did a great job in that presentation, so I heard. I was not at Ozarkon, but I saw the presentation that you have posted in the um, PHSNA group, and um, um, I offered to Jim, and he, he graciously accepted to come back in a future chat with the designer session, maybe not too long from now, and actually uh, have him and Jerry and Nick go through uh, that presentation. It's a long presentation. In fact, they were joking about how how much you know they had to get the hook out in order to get them off the stage. There's so much good information, and I think um, uh, that'll that'll also help kind of expose the the neat capabilities of this device of the measurement system and all of the ancillary types of directions that it can go in. So I'm glad to see it in QQ. I would love to see it in QEX or QST or Oh, whatever. But um, I think if uh, if you're interested in an interesting platform to play with, build this one up from scratch. Uh, contact Jim for the circuit boards. Uh, take a look at our, our NAT uh, design and, and build that from scratch if you want or whatever. Just get your hands into it because, again, as Joe was saying, the more information that you have about the components and the projects that you're building up on the bench, the better that you're going to be able to um, obviously understand it, the better that you're going to be able to apply it and use it. And if you're anything like me, and, and I've studied from my mentor, Joe, for coming on two decades now, um, I build on I, I build on concepts. I build on understanding of, of how to do things on the bench, how to use equipment, what the device characteristics are. And one thing just builds on another. Once you establish a fundamental conceptual understanding, you can then extend it and go on to another area of unknownness, ask some questions of your mentor, and then ultimately understand things a little bit better. To me, that is just immense fun, immensely enjoyable, and it makes uh, makes my time on the bench here in the, here in the in the shack an awful lot better. Joe, do you want to kind of uh, my my precision Arduino clock? And I've mentioned that for a very specific reason that some of you will recognize. But my precision Arduino clock now is saying that it is about 9:22 and 15 seconds. Um, so that's like an hour, 22 minutes into the session here, and we're going to wrap it up uh, per usual. So, Joe, besides taking us home, um, can you give us your observations about, uh, I don't know, the measurement scene, um, experimenters in general, and kind of where you see that whole group of technologists going, you know, based on your, you know, your participation in the different groups, your contributions in QRP quarterly and other publications and dealing with our projects here? Where are we going? 
Wow, that's a deep subject. <laughs> yes, you know, it's a uh, subject near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm very pleased at uh, things like the PHSNA and the uh, the NAT. Um, folks like uh, Wes Hayward and some others uh, over the years have uh, tried to um, tried to provide for hams uh, some uh, measurement techniques that they can do and um, something they can do at home without having to buy scads of uh, expensive test equipment. And they've also provided, and it, it's echoed in the PHSNA, they've also provided a means of um, uh, getting around the issue of calibration of the equipment. Um, when you deal with commercial test equipment, it's very expensive, and um, there's quite often a, an extensive calibration that has to go with it so that you know what on earth you're reading. Um, the availability of some very, very simple uh, analog chips like the power detector chip and computers and some of the techniques that have uh, evolved uh, in the hobbyist community over the years have, uh, have made it extremely easy to, um, to do meaningful measurements in a home environment, in a homebrew environment, and, um, and to pull things together that don't require uh, a lot of stuff that is unobtainium to us hobbyists. Um, I, I really do appreciate that, uh, and this this whole environment is, uh, is very beneficial. George said it's also uh, uh, very educational. You learn what on earth is going going on with your equipment, uh, what affects what, and and how things work, so that uh, you can use it more effectively and gives you a lot of uh, intellectual uh, uh, entertainment. Uh, I do enjoy that aspect as well. Um, to wrap up tonight's session, it was a discussion of the uh, the NAT, the uh, Network um, Analyzer Terminal, which is a, uh, a device with a, uh, again, an integrated display, very fancy uh, graphics display in it, a quarter VGA display, and some processing power that talks over a, uh, a serial interface to a, um, a simple scalar network analyzer, which uh, in its current inst implementation, something come up with by N5IB and the group. Um, to allow you to do some uh, analog measurements uh, in at RF with uh, with a, the ability to generate very precise um, frequencies at uh, known amplitudes to characterize things like uh, analog filters and uh, crystal filters, and in addition, in the future, uh, also do some re return loss bridge measurements. Uh, it's a compilation of a number of um, things that have been coming together for years to make some very, very handy uh, equipment that anybody can use on the bench to do some uh, really meaningful measurements and to uh, get an understanding of what uh, some of this RF stuff is all about. Uh, thanks to all who've, uh, who've participated in this development. It's um, a very, very good, uh, very valuable contribution to the ham community and uh, something I think that uh, when it gets a little more uh, a little more knowledge from uh, publication, a lot more folks are going to get on board and uh, participate in it. Um, we've tried tonight to give some exposure, some technical details, and uh, describe the usage of the equipment uh, in this uh, other uh, venue to, um, to a, uh, a little more select, more interested group. And uh, we hope, uh, hope you all have enjoyed the discussion. Uh, I've enjoyed preparing for it and listening and uh, interacting with the folks. Very good session, and uh, hope we can uh, come up with some more good stuff in the future. Uh, for now, uh, 73 from Joe N2CX. And thank you, everybody, indeed, for showing back up uh, again to the chat with the designers. It's great being here again. Winter had been a terribly depressing thing for us here in the uh, Northeast, probably for everybody. So long and so um, so hard is the uh, is the, has been the weather, and um, kind of come out of that funk and gotten a good rest, and we're ready to charge ahead again. Uh, so we'll be around uh, two weeks from now. 
If you've got a topic that you'd like to uh, us to ex- expound on, to focus on, to to surface and, and knock around the table a little bit, let Joe or me know uh, what your desires are in that regard. Thank you to Dave, AD7JT, for co-hosting the session here for tonight, as well as uh, for Jim and uh, Jack showing up, uh, kind of representing the PHSNA uh, project. And thank you all for your questions and your interaction here today. Really, really enjoyed the session myself. So we'll say 73 from Chat with the Designers. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye now.